Well, good morning. And uh, on, your, on your bulletins, we do have our simplified version of the vision printed, right, where we want to be a, a church, a vibrant church of disciple makers that reproduces vibrant churches, and vibrant churches are filled with individuals. And our aim, our goal is that the Holy Spirit, through the authority of God's word and in the name of Jesus, would continue to cultivate in us a people, to be a people who love God and others passionately to live authentically as genuine disciples of Christ and to give generously of our time, talents, and treasures for the kingdom and to go courageously as everyday missionaries. And Pastor Terrence has already alluded to the ministry fair, which is the first step for for some and for many to be assimilated into both community and ministry. And you'll see more in the weeks to come. So I won't say more about that today. We're continuing our series from the book of Mark, and we've recently been tackling larger portions of Scripture. We're just, we're just in that last leg of Mark where the passages and the narratives are longer and longer and longer. And you've been very gracious with me for the last two weeks. You've been sitting under much longer sermons. Uh, I want to say thank you. I don't take that for granted. Um, I really do love you more than you know, and if you weren't a gracious people, you wouldn't have allowed me to go to 1215 last week. So this week, um, because I, I, I know you've been very gracious with me, um, and your time is important, I worked really, really hard to, to cut it down, so we might just have one point. So I prepared like a, a sermon and then a, a maybe a longer sermon. So what we're going to do is we're just going to focus on the character of Pilate today, and if time, if there is enough time, then... We'll, we'll cover Barabbas. If not, we'll save that for another time. Okay, but we're continuing this little mini-series within our series on Mark called Characters Surrounding the Crucifixion. And today, we are the, the message is entitled Characters Surrounding the Crucifixion, and it's going to be part three. Part three. Okay. So if you have God's Word, please take it and turn with me to Mark chapter 15, if you're not there yet. Mark chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a little bit of a review and a background from last week. Last week, we saw Mark summarize Jesus' trial before the Jewish council. Now, the other gospel writers give us multiple trials that, that Jesus had before the Jewish leaders, but Mark summarizes it to one, and so we're just going to, going to work off of that. The Jewish leaders have accused Jesus of blasphemy. They've built up this case based on false accusations. They, they basically are contradicting each other and even coming up with reasons. They're reaching hard and they can't find sufficient reason to condemn Jesus of blasphemy. But here's the problem. The Jews weren't in charge of everything. They had their own courts. And when they wanted to condemn people of blasphemy, their greatest form of execution was stoning people. That was their greatest form of execution. But they couldn't just execute anyone. They were under Roman rule. They were under the, the law of the Roman Empire. And only the Roman Empire could say, okay, yes, you can execute someone. And yes, only the Roman Empire would crucify people. But crucifixion was reserved for the worst and the worst of criminals. And so at this point, in order to have Jesus crucified, they would have to turn Jesus over to the Roman authorities. And the Romans would actually have to condemn Christ. But the problem for the Jews was this. Blasphemy didn't mean anything. Remember that the Romans were polytheistic. They were okay with many gods. 
They were okay with people claiming to be human gods or self-proclaimed gods. They had no problem with blasphemy. They had no problem with Jesus claiming to be a king of his own spiritual kingdom. So as long as Jesus and whatever kingdom he's proclaiming is no threat to Caesar and no threat to the civil unrest of the Roman citizenship or the Roman Empire. So it's sad that the Jews, being people who were oppressed by the Romans, who did not like the Romans, who saw themselves as under the Romans, would then now turn their own Messiah, their own king, over to the Romans. Right, so that's what we pick up today. And they bring Jesus before the Roman governor, Pilate. So if, you, so if you're not there, once again, we're in Mark 15. And what we want to see, what Mark wants to show us is Pilate. He's afraid to act upon the truth. Okay, that's the one thing we're going to see if we just cover Pilate, that he's afraid to act upon the truth. In fact, Pilate discovers the truth. Not the full-scale truth of, of saving salvation in Christ, but he sees that Christ is innocent. He can see very clearly the plot of the Jews. He saw the evil of the Jews. He saw the conspiracy of the Jews. He saw that they were making up false, false testimony, that they had no grounds for condemning Christ, that, that Pilate sees that this man is completely innocent. And in his heart, he believes that Jesus is righteous. But yet, what happens to Pilate? That's what we're going to see today. He's afraid to act upon the truth. In other words, he's afraid to do the right thing. So that's what we're going to pick up. Look with me at verses 1 to 5. We'll read that. I'll read that to you. We'll do some exposition, and then we'll come back and read 6 to 15. Okay, so Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 1. This is Pilate's interrogation of Jesus. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus, tied him up, and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they're bringing against you. And Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now what you see here is that they're making up lie after lie after lie. Remember, blasphemy doesn't count for anything to the Romans. So they have to somehow show through fabrication that Jesus is causing problems for Caesar. And that Jesus, Jesus is causing problems for the Roman Empire. Now, now, what I've done tonight is, is uh, today, this morning, is that you'll have to keep your Bibles open to Mark 15. But I've put every single cross-reference I'm going to refer to up on the screen. And I'll leave that up for you so you can look at. Now, what are these accusations? Now, Luke 23, verse 2, gives us more detail. Luke tells us that the Jewish leaders began to accuse Jesus, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now those are all false lies, because we know, we know that Jesus specifically taught the people when challenged to pay taxes to Caesar, give to Caesar, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to God what belongs to God. So these are all lies. So they're basically saying, saying that he's deceiving the nation, he's telling us not to pay taxes to the Roman governor, a Roman government, and he's claiming to be a king that would threaten the Roman emperor. And we, we, of course, know that none of these things are true. In fact, Jesus is completely the opposite. 
instead of being a rebel, instead of arousing a rebellion and, and guerrilla warfare, he's healing people, telling people to be good citizens, loving people, teaching authoritatively. And the only people who hated Jesus were the religious leaders who feared losing their influence and their power. And that's what we saw last week. And Pilate, for some reason, he being a pagan, not a Jew, he doesn't have knowledge of the Old Testament, he doesn't have all these prophecies of a coming Messiah, he's able to recognize that Jesus is completely innocent. And that's what Mark shows us. If there's a theological point that Mark wants to teach us about Jesus Christ through chapter 15, it's that Jesus is innocent and everybody else is guilty. And when you get down to the applicational level, what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus is uh, that the Jews are guilty. The Jews are guilty of, of crucifying their Messiah to the point of evil, to the point of working off of lies. That the Romans are guilty. That the Gentiles are guilty for killing Jesus, for following through with the plans of the Jews, even though their governor could see that, that this was wrong. You could see that the disciples are guilty of what of betraying Jesus, at least temporarily, being afraid and cowardly running away and abandoning Jesus. And ultimately, we can see that we ourselves are guilty of sin, right? That we ourselves deserve to, to be on that cross, but Jesus took our place. And that's what Mark wants to see. He wants us to see the complete innocence of Christ. Why is this important? Because if Jesus is not blameless, if he's not 100% innocent, then he cannot die for the sins of man. And that's what we want to see. But let's get to a more personal level. In order to get to a personal level and to understand why Pilate vacillates, I want you to see that Pilate is not a coward, if you will. He's not this fearful, timid, indecisive guy. That's not how the history books record him. In fact, the history books tell us that he is a, a, an evil man, a wretched man, a man who was harsh, a man who was too quick to decision. decision. He was rash, and he was really quick to pull the sword and to command his soldiers just to stab people and kill people, even if they're protesting, to the point where he's under surveillance here by Caesar. That Caesar is watching him, right, and watching him, and, and his one job is to maintain the peace. And, and it's almost like you're the governor of this region of Jewish people, and if they continue to come up and, and, and revolt, then you're in trouble. As the governor, you're going to be removed. So your job is simply to maintain the peace. Maintain the law, but maintain the peace. And there's another context that we have to remember. Remember that Jesus celebrated the Passover. And so it's Passover week, which means many, many, many Jewish pilgrims were visiting Jerusalem. And they overcrowded the city temporarily. So it's really easy to see how afraid Pilate is. He's like, I'm, I'm on watch. I'm kind of on probation. Caesar's watching me, kind of, you know, making sure I eat the right salad, right? Caesar's salad. And, 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 and if these Jewish people start tossing their croutons, you know, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, right? If they start a revolt right here, it, it, it's my head that's on the line. Now, with that background, I want you to read verses 6 to 15 with me. So this is the feast, right? It's, it's the feast of the Passover. Verse 6, Mark records, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked and whom they demanded. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And what Mark doesn't tell us is that his first name is Yeshua, Jesus Barabbas. 
And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews, Jesus of Nazareth? For he perceived, that's Pilate perceived, that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. Verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him released for them, Jesus Barabbas, instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him! Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said, said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him up to be crucified. And so, so Pilate gives in. But why does he give in? Why is he so afraid? So we gave you a little bit of background. But here's a little more. Pilate goes down in history. He's anti-Semitic. He's a Gentile. Charles Swindoll describes him as Roman to the core. Roman to the core. He loves the Roman Empire. And what we don't know about Pilate, at least from the scriptures, is that yes, he's a governor, but governors weren't necessarily given their position because of blood. They weren't like, okay, you're a governor because you're you know, related to Caesar. It didn't work that way. Governors had to be good decision makers. They had to be legislators, if you will. Governors would settle court trials. They had to have experience, and it would help if they had some military background. Because here's the thing about a governor. The governor did not have to answer to the Roman Senate. In other words, the governor was not accountable to the Roman Senate. The governor, the governor answered to one person, Caesar. That's it. That was the one person who had authority over each governor. And so if Pilate were to be removed from his post, there had to be a direct decree from Caesar alone. Pilate was also in the ranks of the military. He was known, the history, the history books have him as a brave soldier and a leader. He was a proven leader on the combat field, where not only was he a good fighter, but he was able to manage and direct warfare. He was able to manage battalions of soldiers on the field. And so he was a skilled administrator and a legislator. And so he was a man of decision, not a man of vacillation. And at this point, he, the history books have him at this point about 40 to 50 years old. So he wasn't some young rookie. In fact, in a letter from Agrippa to Caligula, it recorded in the letters of the historical writings of Philo. Philo says the pilot is described as, quote, unbending and recklessly hard. He is a man of notorious reputation, severe brutality, prejudice, savage violence, and murder, end quote. And back then, when they describe someone as savage, it's not cool. I know young people today, they're like, oh, that was savage. No, no, no. He was savage, meaning he would kill you for nothing. And he goes down in history, and, and I'm not going to give it to you all today, right, because there's, there's just not enough time. Um, but as I was studying, I was getting fascinated because it's crazy. And so I'll just give you one account where, where the Jews are angry because Pilate has put up images of idolatry in the Jewish, in the Jewish temple and, and, and around Judea and Jerusalem. And so they're angry, so they come and protest. And, and he's just so quick to say, okay, 
uh, surround them with Roman soldiers. And, and in one of these accounts, the Roman soldiers are actually stabbing the Jewish protesters and killing them. And so more and more they, they revolt. And, and, and so there's this hatred between Pilate and the Jews. The Jews hated Pilate. And once again, remember that Jerusalem is overcrowded by Jews. So if the religious leaders can somehow rally up the Jewish people against Pilate, he's going to have a revolt. And that's why he's afraid. He's not afraid of the Jews per se. He's afraid of what could possibly happen in terms of a riot. But then Mark tells us something. right? Mark tells us in verse 10. And so again, today we're just going to highlight the most important points because the time is in Mark 10. It says very specifically, for he, Pilate, perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. So Pilate already hates the chief priest. And he could see, he's like, man, it's out of their evil that they're trying to put this guy, Jesus, up. This guy is no threat to me. Why do I give you all that background? Because Pilate is sensitive to rebellion. And if Jesus was actually a rebel, Pilate would be like, off with his head now. Right? Because Pilate's afraid. And, and so if Jesus is actually leading the Jews into a rebellion, Pilate would have been on his feet. But Pilate, the guy who's most sensitive to rebellion, can see that there is no rebellious spirit in Jesus. There's no rebellious spirit in this man. They can see, if anything, it's the religious leaders that are trying to cause problems. So you could see, once again, Mark, in one, in, in one respect, he's showing us what Pilate sees. But in, in another point, he's showing us, look at how wicked the Jews are. Look at how wicked they are. Look at how evil they are. Right? Look at the hypocrisy of the people who are killing their own Messiah. And so throughout the text, you see the Pilate, he wants to release Jesus because he knows that it's the right thing to do. On top of that, we already explained that he wanted to appease the crowd. You know, do the all... all the uproar. But notice verse 6. When you go back to verse 6, it says, Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And so, so in some cases, a Jewish prisoner could be released from the Roman court of law and handed over to the Jewish court of law. And this seemed to fall in line with what Pilate had in mind. But here's the ironic thing. Pilate is afraid to, to have a rebellion, but he's saying, okay, do you want me to release you a rebel? It describes Barabbas as a rebel, a murderer in the insurrection, meaning the reason why Pilate is in prison is because he tried to go against the Roman governor and the Roman government, that he was dangerous, that in the effort to go against the government and rebel, he's killing and murdering people. And so he's locked up, he's on death row, if you will, and he's scheduled to be crucified, his cross is already fashioned. The cross is already there for him. In fact, there are two other robbers, and these aren't just little petty theft robbers, right? These are insurrectionists. There are two other insurrectionists that are with Barabbas, and those are the thieves, the criminals who are going side by side with Jesus that will be on the cross. And Barabbas it appears that he's their ringleader. He's right. Gonna, he's going to be there right in the middle, right? And so Pilate wanted to free Jesus of Nazareth. So he's like, "Let me offer you another Jesus." Now the the scripture passages don't tell us, but a lot of scholars they they look at some of the original manuscripts and 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 they see that that Yeshua Jesus was a common name back then, 
And, and it's a common name today, Jesus, right? But, but Yeshua. And so there was another Yeshua, Barabbas. There was another Yeshua, Barabbas. And, and what, what the scholars say is that the early church who was translating the Bible and writing out the Bible, they're like, there's no way that we're going to give this criminal the same name as our Savior. So they eliminated his name, and that's why we don't have it. But, but Barabbas' name is actually Yeshua. Yeshua Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas. So Pilate's like, let me offer you another Barabbas. Is there, an, I mean, another Jesus? Is there another Jesus that you would rather have, have released? And he was thinking that the people would say, that guy's crazy. That guy's willing to kill people, right? And, and so when you look at Barabbas, and you look at how it describes him as a murderer, when you translate that into our culture, he didn't care if Jews got killed either. He was a terrorist. This is a person who's so, he's going to go against the government to, and protest the government in a way where he's going to take innocent lives. And, and so Pilate's thinking, man, the Jews, if anything, they would want this guy locked up because he's dangerous. He's dangerous. But instead, to Pilate's shock and surprise, the Jewish leaders are so blind and so evil that they want Jesus killed. Right? And, and so Pilate, what do we know about him? He's afraid. He's afraid of who? He's afraid of the crowds. The Jewish crowds rioting. But he, and he's afraid of Caesar. Right? Because Caesar could have him, have him removed, even killed. But there's another person he's afraid of. He's afraid of Jesus. Superstitiously afraid. Now I want you to kind of think now of, of, of us today, everyday people. Right, who sometimes people are like, I don't know if Jesus is real or true, but I, but if he is, oh man, what if? What if there's a spiritual world? What if there's a reality out there? Now, where do we get this insight? Overhead, I put up for you, uh, oh, that's point number one, Pilate afraid to act upon the truth. Um, but I, I put up for you, there should be Matthew up here somewhere. Matthew 27, 19. Matthew 27, 19, it tells us that that Pilate's wife had a dream, right? And so, so we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, or, you know, who sent this dream or if this dream was from God. She just had a nightmare, basically, a dream. And her words specifically to Pilate is have nothing to do with that righteous, meaning that honorable, that sinless man. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. In other words, what we can gather is that Pilate's sitting there about to make a judgment of Jesus, confused, not knowing what to do. Pilate can see that Jesus is innocent and that the Jews are guilty. And his wife sends him a message saying, saying, yeah, he's righteous. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. Because I've suffered much in this dream. We don't know what she suffered. But, but she suffered much in a dream. So through his wife, he's getting the message that Jesus is innocent, right? So he's superstitious. He's afraid. So what does he do? Now you go back to verse 15 of our passage today, Mark Mark 15, verse 15, and it, tell, it tells us, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified, and then it talks about the mockery and all that, and so Mark kind of gives you a real high-level summary. Mark is simply saying, this is what happened, big picture, okay? Pilate, Gave into the crowd, and Jesus was beaten and scourged. But that's actually not the historical order. That's just the summary. It's accurate. You get the order from John. Right? So if you look at John, I have it up on the screen for you. John 19, verses 1 to 6. But I'm just going to refer to 
verse 4, Pilate actually has Jesus beat and scourged. Right? So basically the crowds are like, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate's like he's innocent. And Pilate does whatever he can to try to get Jesus released. So he tries to grab his thing. And so he's like, okay, I'm going to go beat him. Okay, So they take Jesus, they beat him, they scourge him. Now what's scourging? Scourging means to whip. And back then they had these leather whips. And attached to the end of the whip, there's pieces of glass, loose metal, and other things that would rip your skin off. I mean, I mean they would whip people until you could see some of their bones. Because each time the whip hits you, it would rip off a piece of your skin. And so Jesus was scourged. That may have been the time where they slammed the crown thorns on him, mocked him. And then Pilate brings him out and says, look at what I've done to him. Is this not enough? Is this not enough? Do you guys want more blood still? Look, I've beaten him. Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Let him go. That's actually the correct order. Is the Pilate tries to free Jesus. The people are like, we're going to riot. And then, so, so Pilate's like, let me satisfy you with beating the life out of him. And so Jesus is beaten, put before the people. They're spitting on him. And then Pilate's like, you guys still want more blood? That's what you kind of see from John's gospel, right? Now you go back to John, John 19, and you look at verse 12, and I want you to see that after Jesus is beaten, right, after he does this, it says actually, Pilate sought to release him. Meaning, from that point on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So the, the Jews are touching on the one thing that Pilate is so afraid of. The reckless, mean, cold-hearted Pilate is cornered by the one person who could have his life, Caesar. And so he's stuck. That's how evil the Jews are. They cried out. Even after seeing Jesus beaten, beaten badly and mocked, it was not sufficient. And here's the crazy thing, right? If you don't like someone, having them beaten like that and thrown in prison for the rest of their life, is that good enough? They're saying, we don't want, we don't just want imprisonment for Jesus. We want him crucified. We want him murdered. We want him killed. We want capital punishment on an innocent man. And so that's what happens. And so then Matthew fills in more detail for us. In Matthew 27, 24, 25, it says, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning. So he's afraid. They're beginning to riot. He took water, and look at this. He's guilty, right? So symbolically, it says he took water. He washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. You want to kill him? You kill him yourself. And look at how evil the Jews are. Look at what they say. And all the people answered, not just the leaders. All the Jews answered, His blood be on us and our children. How many of you guys would ever say that? That we hate someone so much, we don't care if you can't find any factual evidence to condemn him, kill him. And you know what? His blood be on our children's souls. That's how angry the crowd was. It was a mob mentality. They were like, kill this guy, kill this guy. But there's even evil Pilate could say, could see that you guys are crazy. There's no reason to kill him. He's done nothing but good. 
He's, he's completely innocent and righteous. And the people are like, his blood be on us and our children. And the ironic thing is, Jesus is dying for these people and their children if they come to Christ. How crazy is that? Right? His blood will cover their children if their children come to save the faith. The irony of the love of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his blood would cover the people if they would turn and repent and turn to Christ. And so what we see here is a tremendous fear of man, especially Caesar and the governing authorities and a fear of a riot. Now, if you and I were in Pilate's position, we might have given in too. You see how now we can relate to Pilate? Right? Because he's stuck. What would you do? Your one job at work is to control the peace in your team, and now you have two people making accusations against each other, and they want to take it to HR, and you know your boss has already told you, like, you better manage this, otherwise you're going to be going to HR, you know, and, and being fired, and you're like, what do I do? What do I do? You're stuck. Now what do you do? And then, so, so are you willing to listen to a false accusation just to get rid of the troublemaker? So what are you going to do? Right? And, and so, I mean, you can imagine the pressure. How about churches? You know, if this comes out about a person, you guys, you know, do discipline about this person. It's going to create a lot of unrest. What about the reputation of the people? Now, this is, this is the pressures that people feel, right? This is real life now. So many Christians struggle with the fear of man. But it's tragic that Pilate, the difference is that Pilate is standing in front of Jesus. And he's standing in front of the sovereign judge of every man. And he's struggling thinking, I have jurisdiction over this man's life, and I have to make a decision. And the crazy thing is, actually, Jesus is the judge of all mankind. Jesus is going to judge not just Pilate, but he's going to judge every human soul. And Pilate's blind to this. And so we say for Pilate, he's so close, but so far. So close, but so far, right? He's so close in proximity to the Savior of the world, to Jesus Christ. He's so close because he can see, hey, this guy is innocent. Why don't you just trust you? Why don't you surrender this to Jesus? You see, there's something about you that's righteous. Tell me what I should do. But then he, he plays into the sovereign plan of God, obviously, but he has his own responsibility to play in this, and he falls. But when you think of humanity today, I mean, I think a lot of the world could be like Pilate and say, you know what, Jesus, I like him. I like him. He's a, he's a good moral teacher. I like him. You know, Jesus seems like a pure guy. He seems like he's innocent. I like him. But I'm not sure if I want him to be the judge of my world and my life and my heart. I don't I don't know if I want to surrender to this judge over my heart. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't know if I want to give my control and freedom over to the Lord. I don't know if He's God. I don't. I don't. I don't know if I want Him as my God. You know, and, and so that's a different type of pressure, right? But but you see how there's this even superstition of people saying, well, you know what, Jesus, if He's real, I better take it. You know, do the safe thing and believe in Him. But, but that's not a saving faith either. Either, right, where you're just afraid of judgment in hell. So you kind of emotionally believe in it. So you can kind of see how many of us today or many people that we know can relate to Pilate specifically. He can see that there's something about Christ. He's so close, but he's yet still so far. Right? He's that close. 
He's right. He's the only one out of everyone there who can see that Jesus is innocent. He has eyes to see only 70%, but the 30% is tragic. He can't see. He's still blind. He still thinks that he's the judge. He still thinks the decision's on him. He still thinks that if he judges Jesus, it's on his hands. It is. But ultimately, he could have surrendered to Jesus Christ and allowed Jesus to be the judge. So with Pilate, here's the big idea. The big idea, if the sermon were to end right here, it'd be don't fear the judgment of man, but fear Christ who will judge every man. Don't fear the judgment of man. And this is easier said than done because the judgment of man can be terrifying. What does this look like? It could be the government pressing down upon Christians more and more that if you want to express your Christian opinion, you might end up in in litigation. Don't fear the judgment of man. Yes, you may lose some money. It's going to be stressful, but you know what? God in his sovereignty always somehow provides for his people some way when we stand for him. And even if he doesn't, he's going to provide that salvation that he promised. When we come before the judge, it will be one well done, good and faithful servant. It could be that we have to confront some sin, but we're afraid of how that person's going to respond to us. Okay? It could be the fear of confronting sin in our family and what our family's going to think of us or, or choosing to follow, respond to Jesus Christ, but we lose our family right? because, because they're, they're from another religion and they would disown us or our parents. It could be just the fear of just what other people will think if we face our own sin and confess our own sin. Right? It could be all of those things. But do not fear the judgment of man or what the opinion of what other people will think of you. Fear Christ who sees all things, knows all things, will sit on the judgment throne of God and Christ, he will judge all of us, every soul. That's the one to fear. But the funny thing is when you love Jesus and when you have a personal relationship with him, it is a healthy reverence fear of him. That Christ does sit on the throne and he is the judge, but the same judge is also the mediator. The same judge who judges sin is also the one who will stand before us and mediate on our behalf on the day of judgment as our Savior and our Lord for those who have surrendered to him because we fear him above man. Okay. Now, there's a little bit of time, so I want to go into Barabbas. It's the same big idea. But with Barabbas, point number two, what we see quickly about Barabbas, because the scriptures don't tell us too much about him, is that he was a sinner who traded places with God. He was a sinner, a wretched sinner, who traded places with Christ. Barabbas literally means, in the original, son of the father. That's what it means. And so the irony, I already mentioned that his first name is Yahshua. But the irony is also that he is Yahshua, son of the father. Bar means son. So like Simon Barjona, right? Bar means a son. So Abba means father. So son of father was his name. Ironically, the people wanted to release son of father, son of the father, for the true son of the father, God, right? So what an exchange, a well-known murder and criminal son of the father. Now, Barabbas was infamous. Everyone knew about him. That's why Pilate could simply just appeal to him and say, hey, which one do you guys want? The worst of the worst? The the infamous Barabbas? Or do you want Jesus of Nazareth released? I think you would rather have the healer and the person who loves people and the person who is a great teacher and the person of compassion 
than the crazy maniac, which one do you want? Right? And the people say, we want Barabbas. They clearly knew who he was. And so what we know about Barabbas is that he's so notorious. Right? It describes him. I already explained that he's, he's committed murder in the insurrection. That's what verse 7 tells us. But what we see spiritually is that Barabbas has no idea that the only reason why he tastes physical freedom is because of Christ. That's the only reason. Now, I am not saying that Jesus died for his sin in the sense of paying for his sin because if Barabbas never came to Christ, and we have no account that Barabbas came to Christ. Some people come up with a legend that Barabbas you know, somehow became a believer later, but that's actually not in history. We actually don't have that. That's, that's, we hope for that, but there is no record of him coming back to say, thank you, Jesus, I'm alive because of you. But literally, we can say, factually, that Jesus took his cross, that Jesus took the place, his place on the cross, that there was already this cross prepared for Barabbas, when Barabbas was free, when Barabbas was free, that literally Jesus took his cross. Now, Charles Swindoll in a book, Charles Swindoll in a book, and some of you are like, you read Swindoll? I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of old in, in, my, in my thinking, in my heart. Swindoll in a book, he kind of explains that, that this crucifixion, this, or this trial happens in, in most likely this fortress of Antonio. And, and, and in this fortress, you know, there is this, there, there is Barabbas, he's in the same fortress, high security prison. And so Barabbas could actually hear people calling for his name, but he has no idea what's going on. That's how Swindoll describes it. That he's in his cell on death row, he knows he's going to be crucified. And all Barabbas could hear is the people getting louder and louder. Barabbas! Free Barabbas! Barabbas! But he, but he just hears his name, he doesn't know what's going on. So possibly all he hears is Barabbas, Barabbas, and the crowd is loud. So the next thing he hears is, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, Barabbas, 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 crucify him. So as Swindoll puts it into a drama, right, so well, telling a story, he says, Barabbas could have just been hearing, crucify him, Barabbas, crucify him. So as the guards are coming down, actually to free him, Barabbas is thinking, okay, Now's the time I'm going to be crucified. And then the guards open the door and say, you're free. You're free. I mean, Barabbas, he's crazy, but I mean, I don't know if he ever thought, I wonder who this man was. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth, this other guy, that took my place on the cross? And, and, and I think that's where we, even though we're not this insurrectionist murderer, we begin to see that out of all these characters, Barabbas is us. That's who we can relate to the most, is that we're sitting there spiritually on death row. Right, right. Once you realize, and all of us, if you don't realize it now, we're going to realize it one day, that we're going to come before the judge, and it's like the soldiers are coming up, taking us to crucify us. They're going to beat us, they're going to scourge us, they're going to whip us, rip off our skin, they're going to hammer us to a cross, we're going to die of suffocation, and then literal hell for the rest of our lives and we're going to suffer. But then to our surprise, we're free. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Why? Because an innocent man died in the church as part of God's sovereign plan. 
Barabbas, out of everyone, he deserves crucifixion. He took a life. He took a life, right? He didn't just steal all the money. He killed lots of people, assuming. That's why they want to crucify him. And instead, there's an innocent Savior who says, I want that cross. Barabbas, this is part of my father's plan. I am getting your cross, no matter what you say. And I wonder if Barabbas, if any of the legends are true, if he ever came back to Jesus and said, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. I deserve that cross. I fully deserved it. And you took it from me. You took it for me. You bore the judgment of God and the judgment of man, right? And so the big idea, once again, is don't fear the judgment of man. Barabbas was was, was going to face the judgment of man. And I, if he never came to Christ, he's facing the judgment of God. But ultimately for us, we don't need to fear the judgment of man because if you have Christ, we will be spared from the judgment of God. Instead, we have our Savior, our innocent Savior who took our place. Beloved, we cry today, we sing today the song that we pray that someone like a Barabbas would sing. This shows us that Jesus came to die for the most vilest of sinners, the most wretched of sinners, but he also dies for us, sinners. And we have to see, number one, the first step to salvation is recognizing that we are so guilty and that Jesus is innocent and that we deserve God's judgment, but Jesus took our place on the cross and he loves us. And the Father's love that was temporarily removed from Christ and this joy of the Spirit that's temporarily unaccessible to Christ as, as he hung on the cross to bear the judgment of sin, that if you have Christ, that love of the Father covers you through every suffering trial and every judgment of man and people, and that joy of the Spirit is accessible to us. We have to surrender to it and ask for it and see it and seek it. Beloved, let me pray for us this morning. Father, we come before you see in ourselves a little bit of Pilate and a lot of rabbits, that even though we were not murderers and insurrectionists, in our hearts, Lord, we don't always see that that cross was reserved for us, that it was already prepared, that God's judgment is prepared for sinners, every man, all of us, that if we were Pilate, we would have been pressured too, and that we, if we were his disciples, we would have been just afraid we're not stronger than they were. We know that. Lord, we also know that if we were the Jews, we would have been excited. Part of the mob mentality. And we would have said, okay, everyone else is saying crucify him. Let's crucify him. Father, it's not until we realize that you came marching down those halls of death row and we're fearful, thinking you're going to send us to hell, but instead you give us your son. You say, go free. Free into my presence. Live for me now. Worship Jesus instead. Lord, will we respond this morning? Lord, all of us will have to one day come before you and answer for what we made in our mind, in our hearts, and in your sentence. Help us to imagine you surrender to the gospel. Father, if there's anybody sitting here today who does not know you, and they don't know what to think. They don't know if they should respond to you or as Lord or 
they need more time or whether they should wait or whether they should respond immediately. Father, we pray, Lord, that through the power of your spirit, that you would save them now. Beloved, if any of you prayed that prayer, please come come talk to me. Come talk to us today. Surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ as you would need to do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.